T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, it's Sunday Take. This is Blois. It's March 6th, 2022. We're about 246 days from Election Day. This week, the state reported its largest budget surplus ever. And we have a very competitive race growing in the first congressional district since Representative Jim Hagedorn passed away. But there doesn't seem to be any urgency around some of the bigger issues of the day, whether it's public safety, education, uh, taxes that we talked about last week. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of urgency. Is that just the Minnesota passive aggressive way being amplified at the legislature? Or is it because political leaders have a tough time with big decisions these days? One of the things that strikes me is even after the legislature passes things, there's a runway before anything gets enacted. And on urgent issues from housing to crime and public safety, there's urgency. We'll try to figure out that urgency this week. We'll talk to Jeremy Munson, who's going to run in the first congressional district. We'll talk to Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington about the whole picture on public safety and why some of these violent gun cases just don't seem to make sense to the public. And then we'll end the conversation with Representative Ilhan Omar on the way she views the way forward for Democrats with Joe Biden being unpopular and the far left being one of the reasons why. I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay. Plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight. 
You deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. This week's first interview on Sunday Take is with Representative Jeremy Munson. He's a state representative, uh, and he's said and planning to announce that he's running for Congress in the next few days. Uh, he's waited, like many, for the services of uh, the late Jim Hagedorn to pass. And he joins me this morning to talk about why uh, he would give up a seat in the state house to run for Congress. Representative Munson, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on, boys. So um, obviously, uh, you know, in the last few weeks, we've all reflected on Representative Hagedorn's legacy and career. Uh, what would you say about his legacy or career that you want to move forward as you uh, embark on a race to run for Congress? Well, Jim was uh, was a great friend and mentor to me and, and to many others in the district. And his his really his life was was based in service. He 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 wanted to serve in Congress like his father. And uh, look, I, I got to say he's he's been a he's been a great he's been my conservative voice in D.C. He's had impressive votes um, and and voted even against you know Trump's big budget. Um, that that most Republicans voted for. And, you know, he said he was going to vote against some of these bills like that and went out to D.C. and he did. Um, he was a he was a good conservative and a fiscal conservative. And um, everybody is thankful for his service. So you, you talk about the fiscal conservatism. Um, is that the number one or number two issue that conservatives are most concerned about because it feels like you know through headlines and you'll see this and we'll cover it through the congressional race that there's so many kind of i'll call them shiny object issues that the media gets caught up in but what are the core issues that you want to you know represent if you're successful in this race for minnesota's first district in washington well observing the state legislature has has given me a lot of knowledge on 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 the separation between state and federal issues, and you know I I went to to St. Paul to work on lowering the cost of healthcare, and when you get to the end of what you're trying to work on, so much of so many of the reasons why we have things at the state level is because the federal government has required things of us, and so working on you know healthcare costs at the federal level will be something that I will spend time doing, but you know right out of the gate, obviously we have some federal issues on immigration reform that we need to work on. Um, we need energy independence back. That has really been highlighted with what's happening in the Ukraine on how important it is to be energy independent, to not be buying oil from, from Russia and countries that, that don't like us um, and working on foreign policy issues. And uh, of course, uh, making sure that the, that the federal government doesn't change election law for the states. And so it's going to be different serving in the, in the majority in Congress versus right now, we know they're in the minority and it's very difficult uh, to, uh, I mean, you can vote against the spending bills, but you can vote against most everything that the Democrats are putting forward in the house. Um, but, but focusing on the priorities for, for the district and uh, agriculture, small businesses, um, ensuring we protect private health care and private uh, 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 insurance options is important. 
while serving in St. Paul, you and others started a separate caucus from uh, the, I'll call it the traditional Republican caucus, uh, seen as kind of a rogue move. Um, describe how you made that decision, why you made that decision. And if you think that those are the kinds of things that in D.C. could happen, uh, knowing that there's even division within Republicans in D.C. amongst you know, leadership and, uh, and newer members? Well, the, the reason why we, uh, well, I'll explain the history of the Newhouse Caucus. It was sure. really founded in the need to hire staff that works for the district. Um, in St. Paul, all of the staff allocation, each member gets, let's say, one full-time employee. That allocation is given to the leadership, and then they determine how those people are going to work. Um, and the the new members to to the House usually get the staff that's not as effective. They haven't been there long or they've never had a job before in politics. And so we wanted staff that would actually be knowledgeable to help us advance our our, our legislation, to message when we wanted to vote against even Republican bills. And so we made the decision to hire staff directly like they used to in the House and Senate. And um, it was for that reason that, you know, the the leader at the time, Kurt Doubt, said that we couldn't caucus with them. We didn't have a desire to caucus separately. Um, we just wanted to hire our own staff. But it uh, there was a division there because they didn't like that we hired our own staff. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the Republican team. I'm, we're the new House Republican caucus is, is uh, very much Republican and certainly have support among the grassroots. And when I go to Washington, um, I'm going to be on the team. My guest is Representative Jeremy Munson. He's a state representative. He's uh, announcing this week he's going to run for Jim Hagedorn's open seat in the first congressional district. Repres- Representative Munson, there's expected to be others running for this seat. What's going to differentiate you? And have you spoken to Jennifer Carnahan about whether or not she's going to run? Any thoughts on that? And would that change your decision at all? Well, there will be likely, you know, many candidates that jump into this race, uh, given the short timeline. Um, what differentiates me is that um, that I have a proven track record of, of voting conservatively, uh, working on issues that are important for the district, uh, being effective to get things done. There are several uh, people who are interested in running who served 15 years ago. And um, the, the country is, I mean, the, the country has changed drastically in the last few years. Uh, the political environment has changed. And, you know, I've been in the trenches with the grassroots fighting against the lockdowns and, and you know, pushing back on executive overreach, um, filing lawsuits against the Secretary of State and Governor Walls for doing things that have been proven by the courts to be unconstitutional. And, uh, and so, so I'm, I've been with them on these issues. And I think that that has built up name recognition in the district. People have, uh, they trust that I'm, um, I'm going to fight for them. Um, as far as Jennifer Carnahan, I don't know if she's going to run or not. Um, being a spouse of, of, of Congressman Hagedorn does not entitle her to, to have the seat. I did speak with her at uh, Jim's service. And uh, it, we didn't talk politics. That wasn't uh, an appropriate time. Representative Munson's my guest. And, uh, you know, last question here, you talked about, uh, you know, pushing back against walls mandates. You talked about lawsuits. You know, one issue that kind of comes to mind whenever I think of you is uh, that you, you float an idea that certain counties from Minnesota should secede. I I think it got a lot of headlines. I don't think there was a lot of, you know, opportunity for it to ever be a reality. 
But when when you look at Congress and this week, the this past week, the State of the Union members who heckled the president during the study of the union, things like that. There's a certain decorum that I think people expect from elected officials, even in Congress. Is it about the serious work or is it about kind of throwing ideas out there for, you know, everybody to kind of chew on or for the headline or for the politics to drum up the base? Um, Do you look at it differently if you're running for Congress versus the state house? The, the, the bill that would allow, uh, the, the bill that created the, that would, let me start over. The bill that would create a path for counties to secede to neighboring states was the beginning of an important conversation to highlight the, dis, the discrepancy between the taxes and regulatory structure of Minnesota compared to neighboring states. We have people in Minnesota that are in my community that are moving to Sioux Falls. And the request from constituents was, why, why can't we stay in our own community? and just choose different governance, choose different, you know, why can't we have the taxes that South Dakota and the regulations that South Dakota or Iowa have? And that was the, that was the purpose of introducing that bill to start the conversation. And it did spark an important conversation, um, got national attention. And I was able to go out and talk about why people are moving from Minnesota to neighboring states and why Minnesotans are at a competitive disadvantage to their neighbors, right? Um, it wasn't like creating a whole new state. But it did start the conversation. And sometimes, especially in the minority, when you want to have that important conversation, um, you need to take a playbook, you know, something out of the playbook from Trump, which is to make a statement that's bold, that attracts attention in order for you to have an important conversation so people pay attention. And that's that's what that bill was about. You bring up President Trump. And as we close here, obviously, that's going to be part of the spirit of this race in the first district. Um, the first district has an independent streak. Um you know, it, Representative Hagedorn won with comfortable margin uh, last time, but, you know, it was represented by Governor Walls before that. Is it about Jeremy Munson or is it about a movement uh, of Trump Republicans uh, to try to keep this seat? Uh, and because, again, it's about the whole district, not just, you know, kind of the Republican constituency once you get to Congress. Sure. I, I mean, I think this race is is going to be a referendum on Biden in a referendum on the extremist policies that are being pushed in Washington, D.C. and the need to take back the majority or to retain um, this seat so that we can have the majority in D.C. Uh, It's Trump uh, was a populist president. And I also uh, will run on some issues that are that are populist issues. But it, it is not going to be an election on Trump versus Biden. It's going to be um, a referendum pushing back on the on the bad policies of Nancy Pelosi and, and Joe Biden. Representative Jeremy Munson, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. When we come back, Commissioner John Harrington, he's going to talk about why we keep hearing stories that just don't make sense when it comes to public safety and criminal justice. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. 
We're back on Sunday Take. Joining me now is Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington. He's been a legislator. He's been an officer of the law. He's been a police chief. Now he sits at the helm of Minnesota's public safety system. Um, He's been at the forefront. He's been with the governor. He's been in a series of listening sessions the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to kind of just dig down a little deeper onto where in the spectrum of public safety, where we need some solutions immediately, why some of the you know, system is working one way that makes people scratch their heads sometimes. So, Commissioner, thanks for joining me. Well, it's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, you're a man of many hats. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, Commissioner. I, I uh, describe my many hats, but I think I, we could spend as much time talking about your many hats uh, also. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive in here pretty quickly. I know you only have a little bit of time. We know that uh, we've known each other a long time and we've worn different hats with each other through those years. Um, Overall, right now, public safety is a is a it's a talking issue. It's a talker. Wherever I go, whatever I do, it's one of the things my neighbors bring up. Um, people bring it up at the hockey rink at the local establishment. You look at Minneapolis as one area. You look at the suburbs, but this is a statewide issue. Explain how you look at it as a commissioner as a statewide issue because it the issues aren't just confined to the Twin Cities. No, it's definitely not confined to the Twin Cities, although uh, we started doing some preliminary work. Thankfully, Drew Evans and the BCA uh, has has shifted from UCR data to NIBRS, and so we're able to get a little bit more information uh, a little quicker than we used to, and and we're starting to track uh, the seven county metro area has definitely seen a spike. Uh, the Twin Cities, no no secret there. Um, St. Paul went past its record of homicides. Uh, Minneapolis tied its records of homicides. The state has seen, I think, a hundred more fatal crashes in the last year. Um, and and overlaying all of that is a, a, a topic that you can't quantify as easily. But I think it's what is driving the conversation, which is fear. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I started out as a community policing cop, a beat cop, back when uh, responding to fear in the community was one of the things that police departments were recognizing they needed to do. Uh, But just the data, I will say, points me to say that, you know, that this is not as simplistic as it's just a Minneapolis or just a St. Paul problem. Uh, It's in some regards, it's very similar to the aha moment I had when uh, Attorney General Ellison and I did the deadly force encounters working group, where we discovered that 60% of the deadly force encounters were in greater Minnesota, not in the Twin Cities, which is I think counter to what the public narrative was at the time, which everybody assumed that was a Minneapolis or a St. Paul issue, and and it's not. Um, So we're seeing this level of criminality across the state, uh, but it's more episodic. It's more concentrated right now in the Twin Cities area, and and we're recognizing that, which is why you saw Minnesota State Patrol do heat uh, in yep. the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. It's why you may have heard uh, the aviation unit from, from the state patrol hovering over Minneapolis on a yep. number of occasions as we tried to work on the carjacking issues. It's why I have extra BCA agents investigating gun crimes in Minneapolis and why we're having conversations regularly with uh, the first ring suburbs, the Twin Cities, and the sheriffs around there to say, what are we going to do as we get ready for the spring? Uh, because we know that the spring will come. And unfortunately, we recognize that that historically has been we've seen when we see an uptick in crime. 
we haven't seen that crime flatten out this year the way we had in the past. So we really do have to get about our business. Well, I think you acknowledging just the spike is is the first step because, you know, so much of this debate has been driven by those with the loudest voices on any side rather than those who are actually having the conversations every day. One of the one of the topics that comes up is there'll be someone they allegedly commit a crime, but there's pretty good evidence that they committed this crime. There was one this week where in Brooklyn Park, um, you know, somebody shot up a townhouse complex, including shooting their neighbor, led police on a chase and then hit two police cars and then got out on bail. I know you can't talk about the specifics of that case or any case, but can you can you kind of talk about how the system is so that everyday Minnesotans go, why does that person get out on bail or why why um, isn't that person held longer? Um, you know, kind of this old mentality of, well, let's throw the book at them. I think everybody understands you're innocent until proven guilty, but there just seems to be story after story about people getting out before maybe common sense says they should get out if they're a violent, you know, repeat offender. Well, and I think two parts to that conversation that we're that we're watching and that we're engaged in the conversation. One of, is about the whole conversation about cash bail. And there has been a conversation at the policy and the legislative uh, level, uh, not just here in Minnesota, but this is a national conversation yep. about cash bail and does cash bail put someone's thumb on the scale to allow a racially disparate impact on, on crime? Um, and whether you believe that or not, um, there are funds that have been created to, I think, I think their original intent may well have been to level that out. Unfortunately, one of the things we see, and I, I see it probably on Twitter, as you do in some cases, yeah. uh, is when folks that are committing criminal acts in the Black community, in the Latino community, in the Asian community, get out on bail based on that system. I've got members of that community, the Black community, the Asian community, the Latino community, the church community, asking me the question, why did they get out? Because we're the victims, and nobody yeah. seems to have been asking them, you know, the Bishop Smiths and the Bishop Howells and the, the Ronnie Pattersons of the world, they're not asking them, is this good for the east side of St. Paul or the Midway District or Brooklyn Park or North Minneapolis? And I think that's where this disconnect is partly coming from is you identified it that there's groups of people who have very loud voices who are who are stake, stating their truth, but their truth may not be the truth right. for the folks that live in that townhouse complex who had to come back the next day and think about, well, somebody who shot the place up may be coming home and have they, are they in a better state of mind? Are they not likely to do this again? Uh, and there are some, there are some real challenges in trying to address what I would see as a uh, problem, problem person behavior. And, and by that, I mean, very specifically repeat criminal behavior, yep. uh, folks that have a history and a pattern of whether it's domestic violence, gun violence, the carjackings, where we're seeing some of those cases are not isolated. They may be looked at as isolated by one county attorney or another, but in fact, uh, our boundary lines on a nice map are not necessarily respected or viewed as important by some of the criminal element that, that we end up having to interact with. No, I think that makes sense. My guest is Commissioner John Harrington. He's the Commissioner of Public Safety for the state. He's also been a state senator, uh, a beat cop, a police chief. So, 
I know you and Governor Walls have been uh, and others have been holding some roundtables. I also know you interface with the legislature uh, on a bipartisan basis. Republicans have some ideas. The governor has some ideas. DFLers have some other ideas. From where you sit, are there some things we can do quickly in the near term, A, to help with this summer, either funding-wise, program-wise, penalty-wise, and are there some things we need to do for the long term so that, you know, we can kind of reverse this trend? Well, we have pitched an idea that we refer to as prevention, intervention, and uh, targeted enforcement. Uh, and that seems to have some support. I've heard uh, Governor Wallace has very definitely added it in his budget. I've heard uh, conversations I've had with Democratic and Republican legislators who recognize that uh, providing funding to the community so that they can start right now. And I mean, literally right now, getting (laughs) out there to take the prevention activities that we need is an important first step. Because frankly, while I am absolutely 100% in favor of all the recruiting efforts that we can possibly do, we absolutely need more cops. We need more social workers. We need a lot of, we need more of a lot of things right now that lag in time from the time that we start recruiting to when they're actually on the streets won't get me anywhere for this summer. And so I'm, what I'm really banking on is that I can get groups like 21 Days of Peace, uh, Bishop Howell's group that went out and stood at Broadway and Lindale, yep. a corner, and dropped the crime rate there. No, nothing else really changed there. There weren't more cops. There weren't more of anything else. Aside from the church ladies and fathers there, it dropped it by, I think what Charlie Adams told me, by 45%. Wow. That's a huge difference. Bishop Smith is uh, over in Brooklyn Park has talked about the success he's had of getting young men who were standing on the corners, probably selling dope at one point or another, yep. getting them employed and working with him and the drop off in their criminal behavior and the amount of crime around those corners once he did that. So prevention, I think, is really the smart play. It's the fastest play we can do. We also do have to think about intervention, though. There are folks out there that we really do need to think about. And that really speaks to sort of a more medium term process. Mental health, we don't have nearly enough mental health beds. If you've got a a mental health crisis right now, they'll sit in an emergency room for, for days waiting for a bed and for good therapy. Uh, If you have a kid who is addicted to meth, or, or heroin or one of the opiates, we're seeing fentanyl come in in quantities that would kill thousands and thousands of people. We need to have a, have a healthcare model that we can intervene in those young people's lives and get them on the right track. And then the last piece, and this is one that we're working a lot on right now, working with Minneapolis and St. Paul and working with the BCA. How do we identify the most dangerous folks out there, the, the folks that, you know, the, the folks that are the shooters, the ones that are out there doing the carjackings that are doing yep. multiple crimes with violence, because those folks we need to target. We need to have a focused, intentional effort to incapacitate their ability to commit further crimes. And, and that really does mean doing it the way community policing was based on. That would mean having the county attorney, the U.S. attorney, the BCA, the local police, the local county sheriff, mm-hmm. all together to help identify this is what we're going to go after. We're going to go after gun violence this summer. We're going to go after the people yep. that are shooting other people. And when we get the people that we know are doing that, there's an agreement across the board that says 
We will go after them. We will investigate them. We will bring good cases to them. And when we bring those good cases, you will hold them, you will hard charge them, and you will go aggressively to try and make sure that they are incapacitated from being able to do that again. Because I think that sends a message to the other ones that are watching. Yeah. That says, no, you're not just going to do this and get away with it. Uh, you know, I was really gratified to see BCA get the arrest on uh, one of the kids that got killed over in North Minneapolis. Uh, it's been, it took hundreds of search warrants to do that. That was targeted enforcement. We were very right. deliberate about, we were going to focus on those babies killers and we we're going to bring them to justice. And we want the others that have shot the babies out there. We're coming for you. Yep. That's not, that's, that's not, that's not, a, that is a promise that we're never going to give up trying to find you and bring you to the, bring you to justice. And when we do, I expect that the U S attorney and the County attorney and, and others will be there with us to hold them accountable. As we wrap this conversation, one thing that kind of from what you say is this targeted go after the repeat violent offenders, carjackers, gun crimes this summer, coordinated effort, federal, local, state. Then you go to the prosecutors. I know you're a legislator. You talk to legislators, probably Republicans who have this mantra of we got to, you know, we have to incarcerate them longer. We have to make sure they don't get out on bail, those kinds of things. I also know that you talk to to sheriffs who need tools. And then obviously there's, there's likely some deep intelligence on, on the, on the court system. What is it that brings those things together to get us in a different direction, especially on the violent offenders getting charged with the right crimes? Is it that maybe we need federal prosecutors to take some of these cases because they a either have more resources or tougher penalties, or is it, prosecutors locally getting better evidence or better investigations from local law enforcement. Is there any trend there that you think in the final parts of this conversation that both Republicans and Democrats go, yeah, that will help if we pass a new law or if we enact laws we have in a different way? I don't know that we need new laws. I'll be perfectly frank. I, I don't know that a 13 or 14 year old who goes out and carjacks somebody or, or takes a shot at somebody is thinking about how many years in prison. They're right. likely to do. I don't yeah. know that that is part of their mindset. I also don't know that that deterrence is not uh, not involved. But I hearken back to Minnesota Heels uh, and to a product program we ran over in St. Paul called SAGA, Stop Armed Gang Assaults, where yep. we worked with the U.S. Attorney and with the county attorneys, and we very much articulated that we were going to go after the gangs who were committing the crimes in Phillips back in back in Minnesota Heels days, uh, yep. and the, the, the gangs that were doing it, killing each other on the St. Paul side during during my tenure there. I really do think what brought that together, though, was leadership from the count from the prosecutor's office. Uh, we drove it from the police department because we were hearing directly from the community. We were hearing from the victims. We were hearing from the moms. We were hearing from the pastors who reminded me that you think it's tough going to those crime scenes, chief. I'm the one that buries those kids. Yeah. You know, you think about Bishop Hall, how many awful funerals he's had at his church. Uh, Ronnie Patterson over, over in New Hope Baptist, same thing. So when we listen to the community, and let the community voices drive where we go. It was easier to bring the county attorney, to bring the U.S. attorney, to bring the variety of different state and local agencies together to say, we're going to focus. And I think that's what we require right now. We are being pulled in a lot of different directions right now. And I think what we really need right now is to focus 
on the most serious crimes, uh, the most repeat offenders, uh, and then focus on the victims. Uh, that would be but my last, last piece of this is I don't think we pay nearly enough attention to the victims of crime, the families that are left behind. Um, I think that is, if we listen to their voices, I think you would have a very clear direction as to what they would like to see us do. Commissioner John Harrington, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Uh, always a pleasure. When we come back, Representative Ilhan Omar, where is D.C. headed and how does she feel about President Biden's job approval today? I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take. Joining me for the final conversation this Sunday morning is Representative Ilhan Omar, and uh, I want to welcome her for the first time on the Sunday Take. And uh, earlier this week, President Biden gave the State of the Union, gave a broad agenda, and I um, haven't seen much about uh, her thoughts on the speech. And so I'll just start there, Representative Omar. Welcome to the show. Your thoughts on uh, President Biden's uh, State of the Union this week? Yeah, well, glad to to be here. I, I didn't I didn't know it was my first time. I thought I thought I've been on before. Um, uh, I I I thought the president did an excellent job um, with the speech. It was short. It was sweet. It hit all the marks. Um, I think it was probably one of the most bipartisan um, State of the Union addresses where people on both sides um, of the aisle were routinely getting up to clap for um, uh, the president. I don't think we've seen that in a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I thought it was excellent. One of the challenges uh, for President Biden has been moving through some of the bigger agenda items, specifically Build Back Better. Is there anything on the horizon that you think the president, Democrats can get through um, or where the priorities still lie after this two year kind of COVID? This is what we need. Fire hose of of policies and spending. What's in the near term that you think should be a priority after Build Back Better didn't make it through? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I thought he did. an excellent job with was both talking about, you know, some of those uh, fire hose um, issues that, you know, that, that are needed to, to be addressed that are a response, whether it's Ukraine, whether it is trying to get more money for COVID um, uh, relief um, and, you know, working to get people back to work, um, uh, addressing the inflation um, and, and some of the um, energy costs and all kinds of things that people really need an immediate response to. And then he also, you know, named Build Back Better and said, you know, this is the kind of investment we need to actually create once in a generational investment. And I think he's still committed into that, to that. Um, I think it will be smaller um, and we'll probably not have all of the things the last one had. And I, and, um, and I think everyone's probably going to be a little bit more disciplined uh, in, um, in being, you know, in having a, a realistic expectation of what could be agreed upon uh, and, and getting that done. So I, I do think um, that there is an opportunity for us to pass something. Um, it won't be as 
uh, cumbersome as the last attempt was, um, but it, it will still be a, a really impactful um, package. You brought up inflation. It's impacting everybody. No matter what your party is, inflation isn't impacting you. Um, President Biden's approval, historic midterms. Where do you see the opportunities for Democrats to try to kind of fight against these political headwinds as we go into the election season? Um, Representing, you know, the more progressive part of the Democratic Party, um, you know, internally, some people think that's one of the challenges. I know progressives often think, no, if we stuck to that and didn't moderate, we'd we'd be better off. Where do you think the opportunities are for either President Biden or congressional Democrats to find some momentum here before November? I mean, the, the, the opportunities, um, I think, already exist. We just need to seize them, right? Um, there's a lot of good things that we have accomplished um, our country is at a at a different point than it was, you know, a little over a year ago, um, and we're just not seizing the opportunity to to talk about um, the investments that we've made in the American Rescue um, Plan, which is uh, something that I've I've done with the um, First Lady, Dr. Uh, Jill Biden, in bringing her to Minnesota to highlight some of the investments. Um, from that bill that we made in uh, child care and getting some of the child care centers um, back and operational. Uh, and so I think that, you know, as we continue to push for uh, more investments um, and that big agenda of building our, our country back better, we also have to celebrate some of the investments that we've made that many people still um, haven't felt or or noticed or haven't heard us talk about i think you know when we were in in uh, minnesota with the first lady and at the university of minnesota to talk about these investments i think you know some of the families that we were chatting with um knew they got this help <laughs> a lot of the centers knew they got this help but i i don't think they made the connection that the help came from this particularly large package of funding that was passed after the president um, was sworn in. And so we just have to make the connection for people um, that these investments that they're feeling in in their day-to-day lives are investments that were possible because Democrats control both the House, the Senate, and the White House. And if you continue to keep us there and send us more people, we will continue to make bigger investments in your lives. No, there's no doubt that childcare is one of those issues that I think is impacting people at levels we haven't seen before. I talked about it earlier this week. One of the other things of this election year is Governor Walls is on the ballot. You were vocal in some of your criticism of Governor Walls in the past. Are you going to support him for governor? Do you think he needs to address any new issues before you support him? Where do you stand on kind of the state of politics in Minnesota right now? Uh, the the governor, I, I you know, and I um, agree uh, on more things uh, than we don't. Um, we obviously need his leadership in in our state, um, and I I do believe that him and our lieutenant governor uh, need to um, 
keep their seat and we are going to do everything that we can to make sure that we are organizing our congressional district so that they have a successful re-election. Got it. Representative Ilhana Omar is my guest. Final question. You have some challengers. Uh, what, what do you feel about, you know, the challenges from multiple Republicans and then maybe potential challenges from Democrats in this, you know, what is, we're about 240 three days away from a kind of a volatile election. What are you hearing, you know, from your constituents about what's important uh, that gets addressed in the near term, maybe related to public safety or the inflation and things like that? Yeah. I mean, many, many of, of my constituents um, as, as you and I have talked about uh, quite often, you know, they're the top three issues um, that, you know, every time that we do our, our survey, um, our uh, uh, climate, um, housing, and envi- uh, uh, climate, housing, um, and uh, educational uh, investment. And okay. Those okay. are the the issues we we prioritize. And in you know, in regards to elections, I always say you get what you organize for. Uh, and so we intend to organize our our district for victory, whether it is a primary or a general, like we always right. have. Representative Ilhan Omar, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you. When it's Sunday at nine on WCCO, it's Sunday Take. I'm Blois Olson. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.